Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Salatu wassalam ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen We're back after a week uh, off just to you know, spend some time with family and enjoy the break um, you know, Alhamdulillah I, I do agree that obviously, you know, uh, the masjid should never take a break, uh, but programming should. <laughs> Salah should never take a break, but programming should. Uh, just to kind of emphasize the importance of uh, the community, alhamdulillah. So that's why we <coughs> purposely uh, did not have class uh, last Wednesday. But alhamdulillah, we are going to be picking back up today with our series. And Today we're starting with verse number 65. Uh, so verse number 65, alhamdulillah, we just finished uh, 64. Uh, and we are essentially, you know, um, a little bit more than halfway through the surah, but we are in the home stretch, as they say, of the narrative of Surah Yusuf. Uh, we're in the final kind of, uh, you, we would say the word stanza, uh, which is the final theme, the final story that's taking place, inshallah. Um, in this surah. So we ended with verse number 64, and just to refresh everyone's mind, verse number 64 was, you know, the, the, the whole uh, dialogue between sons and father, where they would ask their father, meaning the brothers of Yusuf alayhi salam, would ask their father, Ya'qub alayhi salam, that, you know, we went to this Aziz, right, this, this treasure of Egypt, of Misr, and we asked him for, you know, the, the help, obviously, because we're going through these seven years of famine. And this Aziz, who was, you know, unknown to them, he knew who they were, but they did not know who he was. And the Aziz asked these brothers that you have one more, meaning you have one more brother. If you truly have one more brother, go back home and bring him to me. And not only go back home and bring him to me, what I will do is that I will ensure that when you come back, you will get another person's uh, measure of food during this time of difficulty. So this is a very, um, is a very enticing plan, a very enticing offer, right? Anyone in their right mind during famine, uh, during, you know, uh, you, you all can relate to this, we all can, can relate to this, uh, a spike in terms of, you know, the, the, the inflation rate of, of the dollar, right? Uh, any sort of aid is, is very valuable, right? No one's going to turn down a favor. And so they go back home and they speak to their father, Ya'qub, and they say, Ya Abana, O oh, our father, 
you know, we are asked to bring our younger brother Benjamin to this Aziz. And the father Ya'qub alayhi salam, he responds to them. He says, قَالَ هَلْ uh, He says, قَالَ هَلْ آمَنُكُمْ عَلَيْهِ إِلَّا كَمَا أَمِنْتُكُمْ عَلَىٰ أَخِيهِ مِنْ قَبْلُ Should I trust you like I trusted, you know, your, you, you with your brother Yusuf so long ago, min qablu. So long ago, meaning that he is still suffering from this trauma, still suffering from this um, memory of the trust that he put into his sons of taking care of Yusuf alayhi salam. And years and years ago, they had allegedly lost him or he had been eaten by a wolf. And as we all know that Yusuf alayhi salam is still alive and doing well. And he is the, in fact, the, the Aziz of this, this country right now. Okay, so he leaves them with this. He says, فَاللَّهُ خَيْرٌ حَفِيظٌ and Yaqub alayhi salam, he ends off on this principle where he says that after all of my trauma, out of, after all of my distress, فَاللَّهُ خَيْرٌ حَفِيظٌ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the greatest of guards, of preservers, and he is the most merciful of all those who show mercy. So now we end up on verse number 65. Verse number 65 continues on this conversation. They're trying to convince their father Yaqub to give Benjamin to them in order for them to take him to Yusuf alayhi salam. And so in verse number 65, it says that, And when they opened their bags, they opened their satchels, okay? They obviously were traveling with, you know, bags and satchels and carrying equipment. So it says, and they opened their bags and they found They found that their money was returned to them. Okay? Now this is very interesting. I said last or two weeks ago that usually when it comes to like a huge transaction, it's very common to put down a deposit. Right? If anyone's buying a car, or buying a house, you know, most people in here probably have this experience, you have to put down a down payment. There has to be some sort of trust that's put in with a large transaction in order for that trust to be put in place, right? Obviously, it's different if it's smaller, right? If it's not as big of a deal, you can buy the thing completely out. But if it's a larger transaction, a larger understanding, we know that there's something called a deposit that you put down. Now, if you go home and you find in your wallet that deposit was returned to you, what does that tell you about the one who's giving you this, this item? It means that they trust your word. I don't need a deposit for you. What is deposit, by the way? What is a down payment? If anyone looks at kind of, you know, the, 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 the ins and outs of financial transaction, you know that a deposit, a down payment, is merely a trust. It's a trust. That this is such a huge kind of, you know, movement of money that I need to at least know that you're $20,000 committed. I need to at least know that you're $5,000 committed, right? It's a trust. So when the actual seller gives it back to you, it tells the buyer that this person doesn't actually even, he, they trust me. In fact, they trust me so much that they want me to come back because, I'm being, because they're being so kind to me, right? So they open up their satchel and they find in, inside of their satchel, that their money بِضَاعَتَهُمْ رُدَّتْ إِلَيْهِمْ That it's been returned to them. Yusuf السلام, wanted to further convince them to come back, so he even put their deposit back. I don't even need you to give me a deposit. Just bring your younger brother back to me. Okay? So they find this, 
And they say to their father, قَالُوا يَا أَبَانَ مَا نَبْغِي مَا نَبْغِي They say to their father, Oh, our father, what more can we desire? مَا نَبْغِي What more do you need? Meaning like, what more proof do you need that this man is being truthful? All he wants to see is our younger brother and he'll give us full measure of what he owes us. Okay? He's even returned our deposit back to us. So clearly he's not like this ill-intent person. He clearly is in right intention. He's given us our money back. What else do you want? Okay? What more can we ask for? He said, they say, هَذِهِ بِضَاعَتُنَا رُدَّتْ إِلَيْنَا This is our money and it's been returned to us. Okay? And so, one of the scholars of tafsir, he mentions what, that, that the meaning of this is that they're saying, what more can we ask for? Our merchandise, our money was returned to us and the Aziz has given us the sufficient load that we wanted. Meaning that he's going to give us what we want. He's a truthful man. So give us Binyamin, let us take him to this man and we will get an entire bunch of food and grain and, 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 and you know, valuables for our, fa- our family for the next few months. Okay, and so they say afterwards, they say, you know, هَذِهِ بِضَاعَتُنَا رُدَّتْ إِلَيْنَا وَنَمِيرُ أَهْلَنَا And we will get more food for our family. So they're trying to convince their father, even more convincing, okay? And he says, وَنَحْفَضُ أَخَانَا وَنَزْدَادُ كَيْلَ بَعِيرُ He says, and we will guard our brother, and we will bring back one more measure of a camel's load. And I said to everybody that this kayla ba'ir, right? That what's referred to in the Quran, kayla ba'ir, is essentially a, another camel's load. So essentially what the, the, the culture was at that time was when people would go to the government to seek aid, each person would return back with kayla ba'ir. Okay? Kayla ba'ir, which means a camel's load of food. So, you know, one person can't go and get like 10 camels load of food back. What did I say? It's one person per camel's load. Make sense, everybody? So they're trying to basically convince their father that you know, if you send Benjamin with us, we'll get a whole another camel's load of food. So this is a very enticing, enticing situation. And they say, ذَلِكَ كَيْلٌ yasir. Okay? And this is easy for this king to do. The king is generous. He is kind. ذَلِكَ كَيْلٌ yasir. Okay? This is easy for him to do. And so Yaqub now he speaks. He hears their entire, you know, persuasive essay. <laughs> he hears their entire appeal. And then he finally answers. And one of the things that is very important to take in mind here is the back and forth conversation and what the adab and etiquette of conversation actually is. Okay? Oftentimes, in the conversations that we have with our family members, our social communities, we're constantly cutting each other off. Always cutting each other off. I have something to say. No, no, my opinion is better. Let me tell you why I'm right. No, no, I hear what you're saying, but let me tell you why I'm right. And to be quite honest with you, this happens even in the masajid. When someone's trying to prove their point, I know my point is better than your point. So let me speak louder. And this is where, you know, you ever wonder like why raised voices happen? Raised voices happen because you want your voice to be heard over the other person's voice. Why else would anybody raise their voice? Why did the Prophet ﷺ never raise his voice? Why? Because he appreciated other people's input. Shawirhum fil amr. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran. Consult them. There's a big art to listening. 
There's a, you know, one of our teachers mentioned this very recently, that if you want to be heard like the Prophet ﷺ, you have to listen like the Prophet ﷺ. We ask ourselves, you know, we, we, we come to our imams and our shayukh and our, and our scholars and we ask them, oh, you know, my kids don't listen to me. Oh, you know, my, 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 my parents are, are, are too strict and my brothers and sisters, they don't listen to me. Nobody listens to me. Well, the, the answer is, do you listen to them? Listening is a two-way street. It can't just be one way. That you listen to me all the time and whenever you have something to say, then bus, I don't want to hear it. Listening is, is an art form, right? And I'll even further say that even some people who are apparently listening, in fact, are formulating their own rebuttal as they're listening. <laughs> this happens a lot, by the way, in families. You know, when there's like a heated argument going on between father and son or daughter and mother, daughter and father, you know, son and mother, whatever. There's argumentation going on and all of a sudden people are apparently listening. But when you ask them, well, hey, what did I what did I just say? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Why? Because as you were speaking, I was already formulating my own thought back. This is not listening. This is just ego and argumentation. Right. So listening is a big thing. So Yaqub alayhi salam was listening to his sons. And I'll tell you what, if there was one person who, who does not have to listen to these sons anymore, it's Yaqub alayhi salam. Look how much damage he, they have done to him. Look how much trauma they have inflicted to him. Even then, he sits and he listens to them. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when it came you know, to the Quraysh, Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, Walid ibn Mughira, trying to convince him, right? They were telling the Prophet ﷺ, you know, oh, if, you, if it's kingship that you want, then we'll give you authority. If it's money that you want, we'll give you money. Right? If it's all these different things you want, we'll give it all to you. And the Prophet ﷺ, in an authentic riwayah, he says, are you done? Are you done speaking? Now it's my turn. And then he begins to recite, Taha ma anzalna alayk al-Qur'ana li it's a big, big component in prophetic character is to listen to people. So now, Yaqub alayhi salam, he responds and he says, he says to his sons, he says, قَالَ لَنْ أَرْسِلَهُ مَعَاكُمْ حَتَّى تُؤْتُونِ مَوْثِقًا مِنَ اللَّهِ He says to them, I will not send him with you حَتَّى until تُؤْتُونِ مَوْثِقًا مِنَ اللَّهِ until you swear an oath to me in Allah's name. Meaning that you have to solemnly swear upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you will bring this boy back to me. Okay? That you will bring him back to me unless you yourselves are surrounded by enemies. Meaning that last time I, I promised I, or I let you do something, you left with one of my sons and you never came back with him. This time, if I should allow you to go and take my other son, I want you to swear to me right now as Allah as your witness that you will bring him back to me and you will not stop even until like you're surrounded by enemies. Meaning like until like death do you part. You better be willing to sacrifice your life that you'll bring Benjamin back to me. Okay? 
And by the way, this is something that a lot of people should take lessons from. There's a really frequent, commonly asked question about, you know, what happens in social relationships when trust is broken? Should I trust people? Should I not trust people? Is there something that I should do Islamically when it comes to these situations? Well, here's, the, here's like the, 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 the default. The default is that unless someone has broken your trust, trust that person. Right? If someone has not broken your trust, trust that person. And I share this with family members all the time. Parents who have anxiety about their children's decisions. I ask them, has that child broken your trust? And if a parent says no, I will say, well, you have to honor that. You have to honor this. Unless they gave you a reason to mistrust them, to distrust them, there's nothing to build off of. You trust them. Now, if there is a moment where they broke your trust, then you have the right to go and discuss and tell them that I'm not comfortable with you doing this because you remember the time you broke my trust. And so Yaqub even with the knowledge of him breaking his trust, he says, I want you to swear to Allah that you will bring this boy back to me, this man, this, this, my son back to me. Does it make sense? Okay. So he says, unless you are surrounded by enemies, okay, uh, you bring Benjamin back to me. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And when they had sworn their solemn oath, they swear to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they will bring him back. And they continue and they say, Allah is the witness to what we have said. So when you swear upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, understand that this is something that is no joke. You know, there's a lot of people, unfortunately, nowadays in common culture that go around saying the word wallahi, 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 right? Wallahi everything. I've heard wallahi in the most bizarre moments of my life, right? Boys playing basketball, the ball goes out of bounds. Wallahi, this ball was in bounds. I'm like, you don't need to make a binding contract with God himself that that ball was out of bounds. I trust you, bro. You know? This this phrase wallahi This this oath You know with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Is a very serious thing And it should not be thrown around frivolously It is something that needs to be taken As seriously as as it is said Right When a person makes a qasam They they swear Especially in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala This is a binding thing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And so they're reminded that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a witness to what we have said. I understand that. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala watched over what you mentioned. And so Ibn Ishaq, he says, Rahimahullah, he says, Ya'qub did that because he had no choice but to send them to bring necessary food supplies for their survival. So he sent Benjamin with them. Meaning that Ya'qub was in a very desperate situation. Had he not been in a desperate situation, quite literally, quite possibly, he would not have sent Benjamin. But in times of desperation, people do what they have to do, right? They have to make decisions that are not so easy. And this was very, very common in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Him sending people to Habasha, right? Him sending people out of the city to go and seek asylum in different areas. Him having to leave the city of Mecca to Al-Mukarramah to go to Medina to Al-Munawwara. These are not easy decisions to make. The Prophet ﷺ never wanted to leave Mecca. Even there's a strong hadith, a very, very, very authentic hadith, 
where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he he spoke to the city of Mecca. He said, "By Allah, if it had not been for for me being forced to leave you, I would have never left you. I would have never gone." But at a point, a person has to realize that they are a shepherd and they're responsible for their flock. That I have to make the tough decisions at times. And this is a characteristic of leadership. That I have to make the, dif- the difficult decision. It may not be a decision that even sometimes I want to make. It may be a decision where I, 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 I make it, but you know, I, I, that, that night is restless. Because it was such a tough decision to make. But this is a characteristic, again, like I said, of leadership. Of authority. You make the decision even if sometimes it does not make you feel completely, completely happy. Give your own comfort up for the comfort of other people. This is a part of our ummah. This is a part of our religion. This is a part of our deen. It's not about satiating the ego. It's, a part, it's about doing what's better for the family. It's about what's doing better for the ummah. It's about what's, what's better for the community. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now he continues to number 67. Verse number 67, Ya'qub alayhi salam, now he gives very sincere nasiha to his sons. So he has given permission to his sons to take Benjamin. He has made them swear upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they will come back with him. And now in 67, he gives them some very fatherly advice. And this is where, by the way, anyone who's had you know, the privilege and the blessing of having a father or even a mother, they understand what this feels like. Right? It doesn't matter how old you are or young you are. Anyone who has had a parent in their life, can res- this will resonate with them. So at this point in verse number 67, Ya'qub alayhi salam, he gives them some advice. He says, وَقَالَ يَا بَنِيَّ لَا تَدْخُلُوا مِنْ بَابٍ وَاحِدٍ He says, oh my sons, do not enter, تَدْخُلُوا لَا تَدْخُلُوا مِنْ بَابٍ وَاحِدٍ Don't all enter from one gate, one door. وَدْخُلُوا مِنْ أَبْوَابٍ مُتَفَرِّقَةٍ but enter by different gates. Don't all go through one gate, but enter through different gates. When you reach the kingdom, the, 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 the palace where the Aziz is and the, and the Malik is, don't enter from one gate, all of you enter from different gates. Now a lot of us have questions as to why. Why did he ask for this? Why, this is a kind of a strange request, right? Why would he do something like this? So to enter from different gates, Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala an. He mentions, he says, that he feared that if all the sons were seen entering from one gate, that they would actually be envied. Meaning that if a lot of people around the area saw all of them entering from one area, these strong, capable young men, that the people around them would be jealous. Who are these people? Right? Who are these guys? Where are they from? There's like 10 of them, 11 of them. This is like a strong tribe, strong clan. I wonder who they are. And so Ya'qub alayhi salam, he feared for their uh, wellness in terms of the jealousy and envy of other people. So Ibn Abbas, he says that he feared that people might direct the evil eye at them. They might direct hasad, or as we say, nazar at, at, at them. Because the evil eye truly harms by Allah's decree and brings down even Ibn Abbas as the warrior riding his horse. Okay? So here's a very interesting question. And this is something I'll answer even before the question is asked. How do you make meaning between having what we call wara? Wara in Arabic means like precaution, cautiousness, 
of envy and jealousy, and you would call nazar. And how do you kind of balance that between your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Where do you draw the line? Because culturally, there's this huge focus on avoiding nazar, right? Oh, please put like, and it's even to the point where like people overseas will like put dots on their babies. You know, I remember seeing this, right? Oh, and I put, put like a little bit of like a, put a little bit of like eyeliner on this kid's forehead because this kid, mashallah, is beautiful. So in order to avoid, you know, nazar and hasad, we'll just kind of like make this kid a little imperfect. Okay. Other people do other things. Culturally, there's a very common cultural phenomenon. Avoid nazar, avoid hasad, right? So how do you balance that and balance tawakkul, your trust in Allah? I will share five things to remember. And this is very easy for everyone to remember and I want everyone to really pay attention to this. Number one, number one, the first thing to do is do your job to protect yourself. Do your job to protect yourself. What does this mean? It means always, always, always have the remembrance of Allah frequent upon the tongue. Whenever we say anything, please, please, please remember to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with that statement. Somebody got a job, mashaAllah. Something good happened in my life, alhamdulillah. Something difficult happened to me, alhamdulillah, subhanAllah. Anything that will essentially remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with any sort of like, moment in your life is something that's beneficial for you, right? That's number one. Remember to take preventative measures, okay? Remember to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect the family. Dua is a very powerful, powerful element. We need to not you know, belittle the power of dua. A person who makes dua for their family, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept this person's dua. Before they go to sleep at night, they recite their quls. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ Asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect there's a reason why قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ and قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ are called the مُعَوِّذَتَيْنِ in Arabic. Why? Because they are the two that Allah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects through. These are two surahs that bring about the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So frequent ourselves with the remembrance of these things. I, alhamdulillah, I was given one of the best pieces of advice by one of my teachers. After we had our daughter six months ago, he said, never allow yourself to put your daughter to bed without reciting the quls with her at night. So alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, from the day she was born until literally last night, it's our tradition now, father-daughter time. <laughs> As she's falling asleep, I have to. It's become a thing. And inshallah, my, my hopes and my du'as that she starts doing it by herself eventually. This is something that, we, that needs to be done within the family. Something that needs to be taught. So take preventative measures. Number two is avoid being ostentatious. Avoid being ostentatious. Now what this means is, Ostentation is a fancy way of saying showing off. The Prophet ﷺ, he says that I don't fear for al-kufr al-kabir. I actually fear kufr al-saghir. So when the companions, they ask, Ya Rasulullah, what's kufr al-saghir? What's the, what's, the, uh, what's the minor kufr? The minor disbelief? And the Prophet ﷺ, he says, al-riya, showing off. Because showing off is a form, in fact, of worshipping the self. It sounds a little bit kind of harsh, but this is a reality. When one shows off, they truly, truly show what they prize in their life. Right? I prize my money. I value my belongings. I value my, 
my, my wealth, my bank account, my, my, my salary, right? So avoid ostentation. And by the way, you know, and, and if, um, if anyone's wondering the, the million dollar question, what do you do in terms of like posting pictures and, uh, you know, uh, sharing news and all these different elements of life? One thing that I will say, and this is personal advice that I actually take upon myself, which is the people who need to know, they will know. The people who need to know, they will know. I always say, if the first thing when any good glad tiding happens in someone's life is that they have to post to the public, it's problematic. Because you have to ask yourself, why do I feel this way? That before I even have a conversation with my mother or my brother or my sister or my son or my daughter or my husband or my wife, my number one desire is to basically spread this like CNN. There's an issue. If that's the first desire that we have, there's an issue, there's a problem. So when it comes to sharing news or sharing photos, sharing whatever, I always say, please, please be cautious of the mentality of the minute good things happen that I have to immediately blast it to the world. And this leads to quite a lot of issues, by the way. More issues than we think. It leads to seeking attention in all the wrong places. It seeks to seeking approval from people who don't really matter in your life. And it leads to a lot of misplaced love. You start loving things that don't even deserve your love. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. Right? So be, be aware of this. Right? Be aware of this. Number three is understand, and this is where we get to making kind of balance of this. Understand that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is more powerful than Hasad. And this is what I will, I will emphasize this. Because this is where I'm addressing people who, quite unfortunately, they allow this nazar and hasad fear to rule their life. That I can't do anything because I'm afraid of nazar. Well, I asked this person, do you not believe in the power of dua in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Do you not believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the ability, now if you've taken all these steps, you've been careful to not show off, You've taken the, projected, the protective measures, you've done your dua, you've done your quls, you've done all these different things, you've made sure that you're not too much of a public person, and somebody sees your baby and says, MashaAllah, cute baby, all of a sudden you're afraid to death. Nazar Right? That's, this, is, this is also an extreme opposite as well. We cannot allow Nazar to rule our lives. And unfortunately, this has been promoted through culture and misunderstanding of the deen, it is something that's unhealthy for us spiritually. To allow this fear to rule our life. Understand that the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is much more powerful than any sort of hasad that anyone has over you. Okay? And this also brings me to you know, my last few points, which is that understand that not everything is nazar. <laughs> Some things are just tests from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can you imagine if every single difficult part of the Prophet's life was attributed to nazar? <laughs> The battle of Uhud, subhanAllah, Nazar. Right? Makkah to Medina, Hijrah, it was Nazar. It was Nazar from Utbah bin Rabi'ah. It was Nazar from Abu Sufyan that we had to leave Makkah. How silly is this? This is not even logically sound. So we cannot blame everything on Nazar. Some things are just tests from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He will give you to see how you get through it. And last but not least is make sure that it does not run your life. And this is where we get the, the final part of this ayah where He says, وَمَا أَغْنِي عَنْكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ Ya'qub alayhi salam, He says, And after 
you enter from these different gates, he says, وَمَا أَغْنِي عَنْكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ He says, and I cannot avail you against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all. His will. You can do whatever you can, but the qadr of Allah will always happen. مِنْ خَيْرِهِ وَشَرِّهِ From what is good and from what you deem as bad. Right? This is very important. And I always, you know, and, and for anyone who's having a hard time understanding this, I always tell people about dua and, 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 and asking Allah for protection too. The equivalence of when a person goes to bed at night, it is very customary for them to lock their door. Correct? Now, does it mean that every single night that you lock your door, you don't have a chance to be robbed by somebody? Absolutely not. Does that also mean that you're going to leave your door unlocked every single night? Absolutely not. Does that mean that every single night that you leave your door unlocked, that you'll be robbed every day that you leave it unlocked? No. But adding that lock to your door at night gives you an added layer of protection. This is what dua does for us. This is what it does for us. It gives you an extra layer of protection. And so for people who ask, well, I make dua and certain bad things still happen to me. Who guaranteed that just because you made dua, everything's going to go your way? If that was the case, then sure, let's all make dua for everything. All the time and we'll all have success every single moment, every single waking moment of our lives. This is not true. The qadr of Allah will always take place. But your job is to make dua and put your trust in Him. This is it. Okay? So, he then, he continues and he says, uh, he says, Verily the decision rests only with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In Him I put my trust. Okay? And let all those that trust put their trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a very beautiful phrase from Surah Yusuf. So everyone who trusts, Allah, let, tell them to put their trust in Allah. You will not be disappointed by putting your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? So then it says, when they entered according to their father's advice, When they entered according to their father's advice, It says that when they entered these doors separately, they all entered separately when they came to Egypt, it did not, the father's advice, it did not avail them against the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was indeed Ya'qub's inner soul, which he had voiced his, to, his, to his sons, right? So meaning, and this is just kind of putting an icing on the cake to what, what we just all talked about, that sometimes you will have your own personal uh, advice for your family, your own personal advice for your loved ones. But at the end of the day, know that no one's in charge of anything in terms of their fate. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala controls their fate. Okay? And so it says, That, and verily, he was endowed with knowledge because we had taught him. And Rather, uh, uh, most people and most people know not. So the advice that Ya'qub he gave his sons to enter from multiple doors was something that he had taught Ya'qub But at the end of the day, Ya'qub life was literally filled with lessons about how no one is truly in control of anything. This is a big component of the surah. 
that one reads the surah and they understand at the end of the day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala controls everything in your life and you think that you're in control of certain elements until Allah says no. You think that everything in your life is going according to plan and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says no. And then that is where a Muslim is made by the way. Muslims are not just people who they make plans and it goes, to, it goes well and they say alhamdulillah, everything's happy, everything's good. A Muslim is made when they make a plan and that plan doesn't go their way. That plan goes awry. And what happens to this person? How do you react? What type of person are you when things don't go your way? Because when things go your way, it's easy to be a good Muslim. It is, wallah, it's very easy to be a good Muslim when things go your way. Alhamdulillah, the kids are praying. You know, my spouse and I were, you know, on good terms. My parents and I are on good terms. Alhamdulillah, work is going well. School is going well. The neighbors are being kind. And the masjid, you know, I like the board of the masjid, right? The salah times are perfect the way that I want them. What happens when there's a little bit of inconvenience in your life? What happens when that one inconvenient moment hits you? Do we erupt with irritation? Do we erupt with all these things that we have to say all of a sudden? Or do we say, Alhamdulillah, Allah has given me so many things that have gone right. So these one or two things that have not gone my way, uh, this is Allah's way of testing who I really am at this point in my life. And I'm not going to fail this test. I'm not going to fail this exam from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I will prove that even in times of distress that I can be the same person. That I will never lose my faith. I will never lose my character. I will never lose my characteristics. I will never lose my etiquettes and my values and my morals and my ethics when things don't go my way. Can you do that? That is the biggest test in life. It's a huge lesson for all, for, for all of us to learn. And the last verse, inshallah, that we'll cover. 69 and 70. It says that when the brothers, they went before Yusuf alayhi salam, ala they entered the court of Yusuf alayhi salam, they entered, they took their brother Benjamin, or he took, he took his brother Benjamin, and he said, So imagine, I want everyone to imagine this. Benjamin, he enters with his 10 brothers into the court of Yusuf alayhi salam. Yusuf alayhi salam, he sees Benjamin. And he fulfills the promise that he promised his other brothers. Treats them well, treats them with, with hospitality. And he asks his helpers to tend to the other brothers. And he calls Benjamin to the side. He calls Benjamin to the side and he says to Benjamin in a private conversation, he says, Inni ana akhuka. He says, It's me, your brother. It's me, your brother. And I want everyone to think about this. Is Benjamin older or younger than Yusuf? Younger. He's younger than Yusuf. So when Yusuf was disposed of decades ago, Benjamin was a child, Sahih. He was tiny. He doesn't have much memory of this. All he has memory of 
is his brother Yusuf is gone. Something happened. Think about it. If there's a child, you know, and anyone's family is in here, what, what thought does that child have besides just the innocence in their mind? A child can be manipulated very easily. The elders tell them what to believe and the kid believes it. It's like a sponge. We always say this. Children are like sponges. So you tell like a five-year-old something and the five-year-old would run with that for his entire life. So these brothers, they told this younger brother, Benjamin, that, oh, your, your older brother died. Your older brother died a long time ago. There's no way that you'll ever find him. He's long gone. And all of a sudden, Benjamin, who now is an adult human being, he gets pulled to the side by this random man, this Aziz of Misr, this secretary, this treasurer of, of Egypt. And he says, Inni ana akhuka. He goes, Indeed, I'm your brother. He says, Fala tabta'is bima kanu ya'malun. He says, And do not grieve for what they used to do. Now, this is very, very incredible Arabic, by the way. He says, He says, La tabta'is. Tabta'is is very incredible because the word tabta'is, it means do not be overcome with grief or anger at this moment. La tabta'is. Don't react too emotionally. By the way, you know, anyone heard the word jahil ever in Arabic? Jahiliyyah. Right? This, is, this is commonly used for pre-Islamic times. Right? When we were in Jahiliyyah, when we were, we were Jahil, Jahil, this word Jahala, a lot of people, they automatically, they translate this word Jahil as, oh, it's just, just, you know, uh, disbeliever. Right? I was ignorant. People say it's, it means ignorance. You know what the word Jahil, Jahala actually means in terms of its linguistical meaning? Jahala actually means a person who cannot control themselves. A person who is considered a jahil cannot control their behavior. That's what jahil means. So now you think about why the Sahaba used to call their lives before Islam jahiliyyah. It means that they had no control over themselves. So when Islam came to them, they finally got some sort of control in their life. They found meaning in their life. So when Yusuf salam he tells Benjamin, he says, La tabta'is. Don't react. Because think about this news. I'm your brother. If a younger brother who hasn't seen his older brother in over 30, 40 years, he hears that this is the brother that he's been missing for decades in his life. The moment that he hears of his survival, his life, he's going to erupt with emotion. Whether it's confusion, anger, happiness, questions, anxiety, stress. Surprise, joy, whatever you name it. Yusuf says, La tabtais, don't overreact right now. Be calm. And this is another lesson for Muslims. Control emotions. Don't be a person who is jahil. <laughs> jahil literally means a person who cannot control what they do, what their emotions are. And this goes both ways, by the way. A person who gets overly grief stricken when something bad happens, overly angry when something doesn't go their way or overly joyful when something does go their way do we agree that overjoy is sometimes dangerous absolutely you can't think straight you're so clouded by your own emotion that you can't see clearly 
So Islam tells you, don't go too far to the left, don't go too far to the right. There's a famous hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he says, he took a stick and he drew in the sand. He drew two lines, he drew one line and he drew two lines on each side of this, this line in the middle. And then the, the commander, they said, Ya Rasulullah, ma hadha? What is this Ya Rasulullah? And he says, hadha sabilullah. He goes, this right here is the path of Allah. Don't be too far here, don't be too far here. When you stray too far to the left or too far to the right, you know you've lost your way. Rewrite yourself back to the middle. This is why the Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ is called Ummatan Wasata. The balanced path, the middle path, the path that can see clearly. So he says, La tabta'is. Do not be overly grief stricken. Do not react too emotionally. Bima kanu ya'malun. Over what they did. Because they told you something and clearly it was a lie. So he exposed their lie to Benjamin right here, right now. But he said, don't react too, too emotionally right now. Okay? And inshaAllah ta'ala, we will end with that. And we will continue with verse number 70 uh, next Wednesday. Bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. Verse number 70. Uh, very interesting. <laughs> Verse number 70 begins the uh, chapter of how Yusuf alayhi salam, he planned to keep Benjamin back with him, right? So Benjamin is now in the uh, court of Yusuf alayhi salam. These brothers, they think they're going to take the, 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 the grain and the crops that he was, they were owed and return back to their father. But Yusuf alayhi salam had other plans on his mind. So inshallah, verse 70 onwards is going to talk about how Yusuf alayhi salam will now basically plan to keep Benjamin back with him and let the other brothers go. Because, and by the way, this is very wise. Because a lot, and I'll explain this in further detail next week. But a lot of people, they say, oh, why did Yusuf alayhi salam separate his brother from the rest of his family? Like, why did he do that? Well, I have a question for you in, in, in rebuttal. Do you think a brother who just learned that all 10 of his brothers that he grew up with were major liars, do you think that he would even want to go back with them right now? Serious question. It's very easy for us to sit back and read this surah from third person point of view and say, oh, why would Yusuf Islam plot and plan to keep his younger brother with him? Well, would this younger brother, now that he knows that the other 10 had a major lie that they tried to convince him his entire life, do you think that he would even want to go near them now at this point? He probably needs time to process all of this. So this is the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the wisdom of his anbiya. May Allah ta'ala be pleased with every single one of them. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect all of us from the dangers and the setbacks of this dunya. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to learn from the lessons of His Qur'an. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reward all of us for every moment of remembrance that we had tonight. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us for all of our sins, whether they be large or small, whether they be known or unknown. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to wash them away as rain washes away the impurity on this earth. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik wa nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka. One or two, buddy.